0: Good morning, friends. Welcome to The Well. My name is Ryan Gear. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, you're our guest, and we're glad you're here. And if you'd like to let us know you're here, just text the word WELCOME to 480-530-7234. It'll text you back with a digital connect card. Just fill that out and tell us about yourself, and you'll get more information about The Well. Thanks for being with us today. Today is also Communion Sunday for us. If you'd like to take communion with us at the end of the service, just have a piece of bread and a beverage ready, and we'll take communion together at the end of the service today, and and today is week five of the series, If God Gave You a Brain, It's Okay to Use It in Church. In this series, we've been talking about the explosion of disinformation in American society over the past few years, and the rise in beliefs that are anti-science and anti-rights of others, a rise in white supremacy, and it seems like a, a decline in thinking about objective facts and reality. We've heard of phrases like alternative facts, and there's been an attack on the free press. And unfortunately, for those of us who want to follow Jesus in some way, a lot of those attacks and those, those anti-scientific beliefs and sharing disinformation and propaganda in our society has been done by people who are self-professing Christians, people who say they want to follow Jesus Christ. and and they are helping to promote this culture of disinformation overload. Maybe you've heard that we, with the internet, we live in the age of information overload. Now it seems as though we live in a, in a time of disinformation overload. And you've probably, uh, probably talked with family members or friends or coworkers who uh, have views that are startling to you. You've discovered that people hold views that maybe are based in, in racist beliefs. Maybe you've heard conspiracy theories that you were surprised to hear from people that you didn't expect to to believe in those things. And and like we said, a lot of this uh, disinformation has been shared by people who are self-professing Christians, and that has prompted more thinking Christians to ask some questions. Maybe you've asked questions like this. Uh, I know that I have, and if I have as a pastor, I'm sure you probably have as well, but I think there are thinking Christians who want to be intelligent, culturally aware people and they believe in science and they believe in facts who are asking questions like can I really be a Christian in the United States? Can I be a church-going Christian in the United States? Or does that mean that I have to be associated with what you know evangelical uh, conservative Christianity and right-wing ideology and this fusion of religion and politics? Can I be a thinking Christian? In the united states and that's what we're talking about in this series if god gave you a brain it's okay to use it in church in 1765 the french philosopher voltaire wrote something that translates like this in english those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities and voltaire was writing about religious people if religious people believe that following jesus christ or being people of faith means that we check our brains at the door And we don't have to think critically, we don't ask questions or we can't ask questions about how we interpret the Bible or science or these conspiracy theories that we hear, then there are people who could cause us to commit atrocities. And this fusion of religion and politics has become violent, like we saw in the assault on the Capitol in January 6th. And so we want to remember that those who believe absurdities can commit atrocities and we want to be thinking Christians This series is also not just about thinking. It's not just some heady academic exercise. We recognize that our thoughts influence our feelings. That's true of cognitive behavioral therapy. The way you think determines the way you feel, which determines the way you act. And then if you also ask yourself, how much anxiety do you feel right now? How much anxiety have you felt over the past few years? And isn't the cause of much of your anxiety this disinformation and denial of science here in the time of the COVID-19 pandemic when people won't wear a mask or or they'll cough in somebody's face who wants them to wear a mask or people will mock Dr. Fauci or deny science? And how much anxiety does it seem uh, is caused by people who may not be thinking deeply? about their actions and so this isn't just about thinking but it's also about the way we feel at the well we say bad theology hurts people. And so we've talked about the Bible and and your brain, how to interpret the Bible wisely, what is the, the, the relationship between faith and reason. We've talked about disinformation and propaganda and the Bible and science and today we're talking about the Bible, conspiracy theories and vaccines. And then next week, we are very excited to welcome special guest, Dr. Pete Enns. I suppose Pete Enns is the the biggest named guest we've had here at The Well so far in in a year and a half or a year and nine months since we started the church. And so uh, Pete Enns is the the host of the podcast, The Bible for Normal People. He's the author of numerous books like The Sin of Certainty and The Evolution of Adam. And uh, Pete has a PhD from Harvard and he's going to be joining us next week to talk about what it means to be a thinking Christian in 2021 America. So please invite friends to watch along with you, share the announcements this week on your social media. And we would love to spread the word and have as many people as possible join us next week to see special guest Pete. And so, first of all, as we start today with Christians, vaccines, and conspiracy theories, I wanna ask you a question. If you'd be willing to interact in the comments, if you would be willing to type something in the comments. Uh, And I wanna ask you this question, we don't wanna use names, so don't use names, but would you be willing to type in the comments, do you know any anyone who believes in conspiracy theories? And if so, what conspiracy theory or conspiracy theories, plural, do they believe in? So don't use names, but if you'd be willing to type into the comments, do you know anybody who believes in conspiracy theories? And you've heard them talk about it. And and if so, what conspiracy theories do they believe in if you would be willing to just type that in the comments and and share with us but please don't use names i'm going to share later on in the in the message today about somebody i know who believes in the QAnon conspiracy theory i used to have a friend i'll talk about later on who was big into the illuminati conspiracy theories and so how about you Uh, do you know anybody who believes in conspiracy theories and and if so what conspiracy theories do they believe in would you type that into the comments. And I'm going to start today by reading our scripture. It comes from the New Testament book of James. It's believed believed that James was the half-brother of Jesus. They have a teaching style that is similar. You can kind of see shades of Jesus when you read this this letter uh, purportedly written by his half-brother James. It's James chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. Let's read together. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. And sisters, and so as I've prepared this this message, I've asked several people in our church and, and people that I know, would you share any advice for me as I talk about Christians, vaccines, and conspiracy theories? What would you give me any kind of words of caution? What would you have to share? You know, as I prepare this message, and I've heard a mix of uh, people who are thinking people and smart people, and and they're encouraging me to acknowledge the hesitancy that some people feel around these topics because there is a spectrum of information. We live in an era era of disinformation, as we said, and there is a spectrum of information and beliefs and people who don't always just want to accept the, the official line and they want to think deeply and ask questions. And so they said when it comes to vaccines and conspiracy theories, just... Acknowledge that there is a spectrum of beliefs and that not everything is black and white and that people may have reasons for believing what they believe, maybe coming out of hardship in their life, or just we're all product of products of our environment and what they have been taught. And so just be sensitive to that. And and I think that's good advice. And other people have said, well, just present the facts, present factual scientific Information. And so I think both of those pieces of advice are helpful today. And I like the way that James addresses in, in verse uh, 16, dear brothers and sisters. He addresses the people that he's writing to and he calls them dear brothers and sisters. And I think that's a good tone for us to talk about these things today. We don't, look, we don't want to look down on people or belittle people or make fun of people for their beliefs about emotional issues we don't want to demonize people i think dear brothers and sisters is a good tone for uh, talking about these things today and in fact james starts with that that statement blessed are those who persevere under trial that's a way of saying you know blessed are those who can who can hang in there in difficult experiences. And so even in this passage, James is acknowledging that life is hard. And we all go through our own experiences of life. We all have our own stories to share. Sometimes we don't really know each other's stories. We don't know the full background of where we're coming from. And so it's a reminder to be compassionate and to have that dear brothers and sisters approach when we talk about these things. For the past generation or two, Americans have experienced several traumatic events that have eroded our confidence in institutions that we used to have confidence in. And we could list all kinds of these, but there has been a growing skepticism in our society of authority and whatever the official information is or, or the, the viewpoint of the experts. You could point to the assassination of JFK as a time when America lost its innocence, or uh, the Vietnam War, or hidden government projects, the Tuskegee experiment, um, Nixon and the the Watergate scandal, televangelist scandals, um, the Catholic Church and sexual abuse, and the way that that has hurt people and undermined trust, traumatic national events like 9-11, and the NSA spying uh, purportedly on on Americans biased media and and this proliferation of disinformation and slanted news uh, including the rise of social media and then of course the invention of the internet and how anybody can put anything on the internet and that can muddy the waters as we think about vaccines the explosion of cases of autism in the United States in children and and you wonder what is going on, that there are so many families who are facing that trial, that hardship that that creates for families, the opioid crisis and multiple health issues and on and on and on. Americans have faced all kinds of trials and that has led to this disillusionment with authority, this distrust of authority And so I say it like this, the the disillusionment with authority and the proliferation of disinformation on the internet and and the hardship endured by Americans has led to what's been called the death of expertise, that we just don't know who to trust. We live in a time of disinformation and distrust. And at the same time, we have the Google machine where we can get on and we can find what information we're looking for and, and Jesus said, you know, what you're searching for, you'll find. We also call that confirmation bias that we can just get on the internet and we can find all kinds of information, and sometimes information that we want to find. And and so there is this this feeling in America that if I can get on Google and I can quote unquote do the research, then my research on Google is just as good as somebody with advanced degrees in a topic. Now, folks may not say that out loud, but there seems to be this growing notion in the United States that, that we live in a time of the death of expertise, where we just don't trust the experts. And so this week, a new member of Congress was removed from all of her committee assignments by her colleagues in Congress because she's made numerous statements that are based in conspiracy theories. And she's a self-professing Christian. So she has stated that an airplane did not strike the Pentagon on 9-11, which is trutherism, that the Parkland high school shooting was staged in order to undermine gun rights. In 2017, she became interested in the QAnon conspiracy theory, and she began promoting QAnon-related Pizzagate conspiracies. She's repeated conspiracies about the Rothschilds, and uh, or the Rothschild family and and George Soros and those are rooted in in anti-Semitic conspiracy theories we'll talk about here in a few minutes and she called George Soros a Nazi. He's a Jewish businessman who survived the Nazi occupation of Hungary as a child. And as disturbing as that is to the extent that her own colleagues removed her from committees, she was elected. She's a member of Congress, and she represents a large number of people in this country who hold similar beliefs about the world. And so, first of all, let's define the term conspiracy theories. Dictionary.com defines a conspiracy theory as a belief that some covert but influential organization is responsible for a circumstance or event. And once again, there is a spectrum of conspiracy theories. A member of our church sent me a chart that I thought was helpful, actually, that was that was put out by a, a, a pro-vaccine group, I believe, but they they kind of ranked conspiracy theories along a spectrum of common beliefs that there is evidence for and then speculation and then uh, increasing levels of danger and, and being separated from reality. So there are fairly common beliefs that are considered conspiracy theories but they're widely held like about the assassination of JFK or that Epstein didn't kill himself or uh, Area 51 or opinions about UFOs or um, common beliefs that may or may not be factual but lots of people hold the, those beliefs and then there are beliefs that are increasingly threatening to society threatening to the well-being of other people and increasingly divorced from reality like Science denial, like calling global warming a hoax, like making fun of the CDC recommendations during COVID-19 or coughing in somebody's face because they think COVID's a hoax, or Pizzagate that's rooted in, in QAnon. And other examples of conspiracy theories, of course, you know, are 9-11 trutherism, that 9-11 was an inside job by the federal government, that it wasn't the Saudi hijackers, that knocked down the the World Trade Center, and birtherism, that Obama wasn't born in America, and the school shootings were staged, the Illuminati, the New World Order, George Soros that we mentioned, conspiracy theories around 5G networks, um, and the anti-vaccine movement that we'll talk about in this message. So right now, it seems that the fastest growing conspiracy theory in, in the United States is QAnon. And QAnon is attracting adherents from evangelical Christianity. A friend of mine told me about a year ago uh, that a family um, friend came to visit for some some event that they had at their house, and, and this family friend is a staunch evangelical Christian, and they were making small talk and st- until the guy started talking about John F. Kennedy Jr. And he believes that John F. Kennedy Jr. is alive, is still alive, that he wasn't killed in a plane crash years ago, and that he is a secret Trump supporter. And, and my friend told me that he was like, uh, he said, I didn't, I didn't quite know where he was going with this. And then uh, he mentioned some other things. And then it turned into, this is how Jesus is going to come back. And as my friend was sharing this with me, I thought, oh, that's QAnon. That was about a year ago uh, when it was the first time that I had a conversation with somebody personally who talked to somebody who held QAnon beliefs. And I, I know the person he's talking about, and I know that he has held beliefs kind of like that for a long time that have evolved into QAnon. He, he used to watch videos that said Obama was the Antichrist that were put out by televangelists. And so these old evangelical televangelist Bible prophecy uh, teachings, beliefs have evolved and become you know, wrapped up in this new QAnon conspiracy theory, and QAnon is a set of conspiracy theories linked to Christian nationalism in the United States, and QAnon arose as the belief that Donald Trump is fighting a secret satanic pedophile ring run by liberals in the United States, and it includes the belief that John F. Kennedy Jr. is still alive and is a Trump supporter. And there are breadcrumbs put out on the uh, internet by this mysterious person named Q. And adherents to QAnon will follow those and come up with their own theories about what it means. And on August 26, 2020, TechnologyReview.com published an article by Abby Olheiser entitled, Evangelicals Are Looking for Answers Online. They're finding QAnon instead. And the subtitle was how the growing pro-Trump movement is preying on churchgoers to spread its conspiracy theories. And in the article, uh, she quotes Brian Friedberg, a senior researcher at the Harvard Shorenstein Center's Technology and Social Change Project, who has studied QAnon since the beginning of its development. And he said that QAnon began invoking God early, that in the early stages of QAnon, there was God talk there was an outreach to religious people. And he said, QAnon community construction from the start has emphasized the traditionalist American morality that is closely aligned with popular Christianity. Uh, Q himself, whoever that person is, poses or posts in a style that both invokes evangelical talking points and encourages deep scriptural research. And so it, it seems that there is, a, is a, an attempt at getting evangelical Christians involved in this QAnon conspiracy theory. Now, many of us hear this and we just, we laugh not because we want to make fun of people but because we just have such a hard time believing it. It, We laugh out of anxiety that that people would believe these kinds of things but conspiracy theories are not new. They have likely been around for as long as, as human beings have been around and even though we might wonder why would somebody believe such outlandish things when there's no evidence for it and, and in fact all of the evidence against it seems to make some people's belief in the conspiracy stronger like they thrive in the lack of evidence how does this work why do people believe things like this and psychologists have spilled ink uh, writing about why conspiracy theories are attractive to some people. And there are lots of reasons. We don't have time to cite all of them, but it might be worth some of your time to, to look into why people believe conspiracy theories. For example, on July 13, 2020, Psych- uh, Psychology Today published Why Are Conspiracy Theories So Appealing? Social Identity and Nonconformity Among True Believers by David Luden, Ph.D. The short answer is it's complicated. There are lots of reasons why people hold to conspiracy theories, and it seems to vary based on the person. Like there are multiple reasons why, and some people are more prone to believe in conspiracy theories for various reasons. Some reasons are rooted in identity. So he writes that a person who believes in conspiracy theories experiences their self-identity being bolstered by identifying with this group and they all believe the same thing, which reminds you of religion. That is a, is a, uh, a payoff for being a part of a religious group. You all kind of believe the same things and live a similar lifestyle and there's a sense of belonging. Human beings are tribal. Somebody posted an article this week on our our Wealth uh, message board about how uh, people don't necessarily look to be right, we want to belong. And there are people who find belonging in a group of people who believe these things. And so they, they find that that strengthens their own sense of identity, being a part of that group. And like James said, we face many trials. And especially if you have walked a difficult road in some area, If you have a child who who struggles with autism, it may be tempting at times, of course, it may not be tempting for you, but it may be tempting at times to look for all kinds of answers as to why your child is going through this and why you are going through this. That's just one example. There are many others, but you might find alternative explanations more attractive if the experts have not been able to help you the way that you wish they could. Uh, He writes that there are people who are prone to see themselves as non-conformists, and they tend to distrust experts by default. They just want to be different. They see themselves as a part of their identity, people who are just different. They resist institutions. They resist authority. And and so conspiracy theories may be attractive to them because it just pushes that button for them, that non-conformist button. There may be a sense of superiority and pride that some people feel believing that they have information that most people don't have. You know, Maybe other people are duped by the experts and by the official line that's put out, but I have, I have information that most people don't have, or I'm smarter than they are, and I'm able to figure out things that they don't know. And so there can be a feeling of pride and superiority. And he sums it up like this. He says, first, they make believers feel good about themselves and the groups they belong to, Second, conspiracy theories help believers find meaning in a confusing world. And third, they lead believers to feel safe and in control. And it's interesting how this works. I mean, for, for somebody who is a 9 11 truther, for example, it is frightening that hijackers were able to fly planes into buildings. But think about people who believe that 9 11 was an inside job perpetrated by the federal government. I think to many of us that would be more horrifying if our, if our federal government literally destroyed buildings on purpose so that we could get into wars. That would be more fear producing than the seemingly more random danger of terrorism. But to a person who holds to that conspiracy of 9-11 trutherism, somehow that is comforting to them that they haven't figured out. And the more that they know about it, and the more that they understand, even if that's different than what most people think, they find a sense of comfort in that. They belong to an in-group, and they're in the know, while the rest of society is is duped or naive. You know, so there's also a sense of safety and and belonging and 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 pride in being you know red pilled, while you believe that everybody else is just living in ignorance, and so. There are many reasons why people might hold to conspiracy theories, but there's one more thing we need to say before we move on to talking about vaccines. And not everybody believes in conspiracy theories, but they can find it hard to admit they were wrong. And that's true of all of us, especially after the last election. We are living in a time when we need to address this phenomenon of people who know that the election was not stolen, that that was a lie, and they know that the attack on the Capitol was illegal and wrong and an act of terrorism, but they they just won't bring themselves to saying that out loud. And they will still stick up for beliefs and candidates and politicians who were behind all of that, even in the face of all of this evidence that proves they were wrong, and inside they probably know they're wrong, but they won't admit it. So there are people who believe in conspiracy theories for all kinds of reasons, and then there are other people who just won't admit they were wrong in the face of a mountain of evidence. Now, in in my experience, I've encountered what is called sunk cost fallacy. Sunk cost fallacy. Sunk cost fallacy is a, is a key concept in behavioral economics, and the decisionlab.com defines sunk cost fallacy as our tendency to follow through on an endeavor if we have already invested time, effort, or money into it, whether or not the current costs outweigh the benefits. And so, for example, an investor who has invested a large amount of money in some project, and the project is failing, might decide to put even more money into the failing project because they have already put so much money into it this is the opposite of cutting your losses so it's the belief that we can't turn back now we've invested so much into this that we just have to keep pouring money into it to try to make it work even though all of the evidence says it's not going to work logic says we just need to stop putting money into this and cut our losses and call it a day and chalk it up to you know learning from our mistakes and move on. But sunk cost fallacy is a tendency that all of us have. When we have already invested a lot of money or a lot of ourselves or our time or our reputation or our relationships into something, we are more prone to just double down, even in the face of evidence we were wrong, because we have already invested so much into it. It's the opposite of cutting our losses. You hear it sometimes uh, when, in a time of war, when people will say, well, we can't bring the troops home now because so many have already died. And so more troops end up dying. Of course, this was the case in, in, I mean, it's commonly accepted, this was the case in Vietnam. When we should have pulled out, but more americans died because we didn't when the evidence was becoming clear to a, to a large number of americans that we should have so it's doubling down because we've already invested so much in it you can easily see why in the current political climate that we're in there are people who have invested their time their their reputation, they've made social media posts, they've talked about it at Thanksgiving dinner, they've voted, they've supported candidates. And now in the face of all of this evidence that it was a bad decision and that there were lies and that led to violence, that led to police officers dying at the Capitol, they still will not say out loud that they were wrong. And I believe we're seeing sunk cost Fallacy. It's the tendency to double down because you've already invested so much in it. It's just too painful to admit we were wrong. And so that's just a little bit of information about conspiracy theories and how Christians are being pulled into the QAnon conspiracy theory and, and why conspiracy theories might be so attractive. Now, onto a related subject in some ways. Um, American's views on vaccines. Like conspiracy theories, there are so many people who have differing views on what the facts really are and on what sources of information are reliable that we have to acknowledge that. As I asked for advice regarding the sermon series, there are people who said, you know, there are people who are coming from different places in life and I would just be sensitive and acknowledge the spectrum of beliefs that people have and not go on the attack, don't demonize people, don't mock people, and I think that's good advice. I think James's tone here of dear brothers and sisters is a good tone. And at the same time, as I was seeking input for how to approach this, there were people who said, Ryan, just present factual information, present science and and talk about what experts believe are the facts here and, and I plan to honor both of those things. I want to talk about facts. I do believe in expertise. I believe in science. And so I want to talk about evidence-based, scientifically tested facts. And I want to be sensitive to people who, for various reasons, face trials of many kinds, as James said. And so a few weeks ago, I told the story of the development of the polio vaccine. When the American people rose up to take on the scourge of polio in the 20th century, polio is a horrible disease that attacks largely children and uh, causes their muscles to to stop working, leading to paralysis, some uh, even attacking muscles that uh, are responsible for breathing. And so you've seen pictures of children laying in a machine called an iron lung that would breathe for them to try to help them survive polio and then, and then victims could be crippled for the rest of their lives because of polio. President Franklin D. Roosevelt, who had suffered from polio as a child and could not walk because of it, created the March of Dimes. And millions of Americans and, and millions of American children wrote a letter to the White House and in that letter they put a dime or maybe they collected pocket change and maybe they sent a dollar in change and they gave that because FDR mobilized this this national task force to find a polio vaccine and so by the 1950s effective vaccines had been produced and by that time Americans had seen footage of FDR in a wheelchair or with his uh, leg braces and They had new uh, people who had polio as a child, and there was an all-out assault on polio. And Americans rose up and and took the polio vaccine. And this awful disease that had crippled children was eradicated from the United States in 1979. The Center for Disease Control uh, says on their their website about vaccines, On-time vaccination throughout childhood is essential because it it helps to provide immunity before children are exposed to potentially life-threatening diseases. Vaccines are tested to ensure that they are safe and effective for children to receive at the recommended ages. And so it's important for us to acknowledge that while there are differing views about vaccines in the United States and popular culture and celebrities have spoken about vaccines and, and cited their own you know, sources for their information. There is no equivocation in the world medical community about vaccines. The medical community of the world believes that children should be vaccinated. And resistance to vaccines exists in the popular culture, but not among the medical community. In a 2015 interview, Stanford immunologist Mark Davis called vaccines, the single most life-saving medical innovation ever in the history of medicine. He said in the pre-vaccine era, about half of all children died of infectious diseases that are readily preventable today. He went on to tell a story about uh, one day I wandered through Union Cemetery in Redwood City, which started around 1850. What was telling about the earlier graves is how many graves you have where there are two large headstones for the mother and father and a lot of little headstones for the children who died in infancy from measles and mumps and all of these diseases that had also vanished with childhood vaccination, but that are now coming back because people say, I've heard something bad about these vaccines, so we're not going to give them to our kid. And Dr. Mark Davis is referring to people who refuse to have their children vaccinated and they're popularly known as anti-vaxxers. Now there are populations of people in the United States who are understandably hesitant to get vaccinated. The Tuskegee experiment is now acknowledged as a fact of history. It was a horrible, unethical um, attack, on African-American men injecting them with syphilis to study its effects on their bodies. And so you can understand why there would be hesitancy and vaccine skepticism among African-American people after that. And there have been anti-vaccine movements as long as there have been vaccines. There was opposition to the smallpox vaccine in the late 1700s and more recently in 1998, Andrew Wakefield, a British gastroenterologist, published a Lancet study associating the MMR vaccine with autism. That study has since been discredited and withdrawn, but the damage was done because that study was promoted by celebrities like Jenny McCarthy, who introduced into the popular mind that vaccines cause autism. Now, once again, there is no equivocation in the medical community about this. For example, the Mayo Clinic website on infant and toddler health issues writes, vaccines do not cause autism. Despite much controversy on the topic, researchers haven't found a connection between autism and childhood vaccines. In fact, the original study that ignited the debate years ago has been retracted. So the medical community is seeing cause for alarm in the disinformation and and the falling vaccine rates and of course now the most pressing vaccine is the COVID-19 vaccine and as of as of Friday 36 million doses of the COVID-19 vaccine have been given in the United States that's 11% of the American population if you follow the news you've seen you know the rollout has been slow and COVID-19 was politicized and and so Americans are not being vaccinated as quickly as we need to be. Right now, frontline workers and in some states, the elderly are eligible for the vaccine. But right now, we're only at 11% of Americans who have received the COVID-19 vaccine. And to help us understand more about the COVID-19 vaccine, I wanted to invite a friend of mine who was an expert and who is on the front lines of the medical community fighting COVID-19. Uh, Jeremy Taylor is an antimicrobial uh, stewardship pharmacist at Ohio Health Doctors' Hospital, and he's been on the front lines through the entire COVID-19 pandemic in Ohio, overseeing medication that's used in his hospital network. And And Jeremy and his wife, Rhonda, are friends of ours. Um, they're part of a church where I used to be a pastor in Columbus, Ohio, and Hannah and I have a deep appreciation for Rhonda and Jeremy personally. But I also have respect for Jeremy and his expertise um, regarding infectious diseases and the COVID-19 vaccine. And so I uh, I videoed uh, an interview with Jeremy, it's about 12 minutes long, and I wanted to show that interview uh, to you and let you hear uh, directly from an infectious disease expert about the COVID-19 vaccine, how it works, and what he had to say about vaccines in general And so let's watch now. uh, Jeremy Taylor uh, talking about vaccines. Jeremy Taylor, welcome to The Well. We're so glad to have you here. I've been looking forward to having you. And uh, personally, it's good to see you. And thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you, Ryan. It's good to see you as well. So as as a medical professional, first of all, on behalf of everybody at The Well, I wanted to say thank you for what you've been doing to save lives. I know this has been a difficult time for everybody in the medical field, and, and I know that's the case for you as well. And, and so I wanted to say thank you for everything you've done. And I wanted to start uh, this morning by just asking, what has your experience been like as a medical professional during COVID-19?
1: Well, Ryan, it's been really challenging. It's, it's been a rough year. It's hard to believe that um, here in Ohio, we had our first case less than a year ago. It was only 11 months ago where we saw our first first patient uh, at at my hospital. And um, we've had our ups and downs. We've had moments where we've peaked. We had three major peaks of COVID in April, July, and again in November and December. Uh, and we had times where it looked like it was going to get better and then it would just rise again. So um, it's been a year that has pretty much been nonstop for healthcare professionals. Um, my hospital in particular is a little over a 200-bed hospital, and we had um, probably a several-month stretch where we had at least 30 COVID patients uh, per day in that hospital. Uh, and then we had a about a three week period where we had over 50 patients and that got as to as many as 60 patients at a time. So that's a lot of COVID patients to see over the course of a year. Um, I've seen patients that have gotten better that have done well and have left the hospital. And I've seen those patients that, that didn't get better and, and uh, never made it out of the hospital, unfortunately. Um, our ICU was full for a good portion of that time. So it's been a really challenging year for us.
0: Mm. I appreciate you sharing that. And I know that there are things you can't share. And, and again, I just wanted to say on behalf of all of us watching, thank you for what you have done, um, to save lives and, uh, you've done all that you could. And we just wanted to say, thank you.
1: Uh, I appreciate that.
0: Well, as a, as a, a professional, as an expert um, you know, I wanted to ask you, first of all, the question that is on a lot of people's minds, uh, you know, about the COVID-19 vaccine. Of course, we, we see what we see in the news, but it's great to have you on because we get to hear from an expert this morning. Um, so can I just ask you, how does the COVID-19 vaccine work? Because a lot of times a layperson like myself, I think, well, they just give us a little bit of the infection and then it, our bodies build antibodies, and then that makes us immune. But I think this is a little different. So could you explain how does the COVID-19 vaccine work?
1: Certainly. Uh, So the two vaccines that are currently available uh, include the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine. They are both what's known as mRNA vaccines. So that's messenger RNA. And the way that works is it takes a little piece of genetic information and it enters the cell, and then the cell makes a protein that's similar to a protein that is found on the coronavirus that allows the coronavirus to enter the cells and cause infection. Uh, So it basically tricks the body into thinking that it has seen that protein and the body in response produces antibodies to that protein so that if a person becomes exposed to the virus, then the body thinks that Um, It has already seen it and produces those antibodies relatively rapidly and prevents severe disease and and significant infection.
0: So in these in these COVID-19 vaccines, we're not actually being injected with COVID. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. This is not a live virus. Uh, This is not even a virus at all. It's just a little piece of genetic information that mimics a portion of the virus
0: that is so so interesting and it makes me appreciate medical science so much just an ingenious approach like that so which brings us to another pressing question um, there are people who are skeptical of the covid-19 vaccine and maybe they're thinking they're not going to take it or they're not sure if they're going to get it or not and there are people who are who are skeptical of vaccines in general um, what would you say as as a a medical professional about the COVID vaccine and what would you say to those who are skeptical about getting any vaccine at all?
1: Let's start with the COVID vaccine first. Um, First of all, I can tell you, I have never been so excited to be vaccinated in my life. I had the opportunity to actually receive the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, And I think this is our biggest step forward, our biggest opportunity to prevent disease. Uh, So let's take a step back here for just a second and talk about um, kind of what I've seen with the disease itself and why this vaccine is so important. So uh, people hear that a majority of patients will get better when they uh, get exposed to COVID. They'll they'll get it and they may have mild symptoms, and that's true. There are a large percentage of patients that do get better. On, On the other side of that, there are patients that don't get better patients with comorbidities, up to 40% of Americans may have some comorbidity uh, that predisposes them to significant infection and severe disease. And that includes things like obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes. And the scary part is many people don't even know they have those comorbidities until they get a significant COVID infection. And then they discover they have those comorbidities when they're hospitalized. So there are people that don't know, uh, they have these comorbidities, they get an infection, they get admitted to the hospital and they spend weeks there. Um, So this vaccine prevents that severe disease. And to me, after seeing all of that, um, I don't know how my body would respond if I got COVID. I I really don't. So I think this is the biggest step forward and the, the biggest advance that we have at this point in time to prevent this disease.
0: Thank you for that. And when it to so the larger issue of vaccines in general, yeah. Um, so, so, what would as, you say far, to folks who are skeptical of those vaccines?
1: Absolutely. So, as far as other vaccines go, um, we've had a lot of success historically with vaccines. I mean, you think about things like smallpox, polio, influenza, which is a seasonal vaccine. I mean, we have to get it every year because there are different strains of the flu virus. Um, And we have to try to best match uh, what we can. Um, And and we've had a lot of success with these vaccines in preventing significant disease and mortality. I know there are people who are skeptical about what is in the vaccine. Is it gonna cause me harm? Uh, The truth is we've got a lot of science and data behind these vaccines. I would trust the healthcare professionals um, that are uh, providing this information and providing the data. Um, if, if you are unsure, talk to your physician, talk to your pharmacist. They're going to be able to tell you a little bit more information about what they would do. Um, it, I know a lot of people that go on the Internet and see information there. There is all kinds of information put out, everything from uh, conspiracy theories to um, is the virus going to change my, or is the vaccine going to change my DNA? Is the vaccine uh, going to contain a microchip that's going to track me? Uh, all of that information is out there on, on the internet, but it's not from a reputable source. It's not, from, it's not scientifically based. So I would trust the scientists, trust the healthcare professionals. They're going to lead you in the right path.
0: Thank you for that, Jeremy. I, I appreciate your concise explanation. So first of all, with the COVID-19 vaccine, you're, you're saying 40% of us don't even know We have comorbidities and may not even know. And so for those who think the vaccine is a risk, from your perspective, it's riskier by far not to get vaccinated.
1: So let let me rephrase that. 40% have a comorbidity. A percentage of those don't know they have a comorbidity. I'll use myself as an example. In the past year and a half, I was diagnosed with prediabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, and it just kept coming. And asthma. I got an asthma diagnosis on top of that in my mid-40s. I never expected that, and I didn't know that I had any of those things until this past year and a half. So if the virus, if, if I got infected by the virus, I never would have known I had those things potentially had it been a year and a half ago. So there are a lot of people like me out there who don't know they have significant diseases and significant comorbidities that can Uh, that can allow you to develop severe disease from COVID should you be exposed to the virus.
0: And so you also speak from experience because you have received both doses of the COVID-19 vaccine now. And would you you care to go ahead and share your own experience?
1: Absolutely. As I mentioned, I was never so excited to be vaccinated in my life. Um, As soon as I could possibly sign up for it uh, as a healthcare professional, I did. Um, And as soon as I was able to receive the vaccine, uh, I I did on my first uh, possible date that I could be scheduled. So when I received the first dose of the Moderna vaccine, um, I had a little bit of chills, a little bit of muscle ache, and my arm felt, I'm not going to sugarcoat this, my arm felt like somebody hit it with a baseball bat. It hurt for uh, a a solid day. Um, and, And it went away as quickly as it came on, it went away. The second dose, uh, which was 28 days later for the Moderna vaccine, um, actually was a very different experience for me because my immune system was already ramped up and ready to go uh, to some degree. When I got that second uh, booster, if you will, it caused my immune system to be that much more activated. I had a fever that got up to about 101 um, and that lasted for a significant portion of the day. I had a a pretty significant headache, my arm felt really hurt again. Um, But as fast as all of those things came on, uh, it went away, I slept it off overnight, and it was gone the next day. Um, And I can tell you, uh, I looked at it as a very good thing, my immune system is ramped up, it's ready to go, it's ready to fight off anything that comes my way.
0: That's great. Thank you for sharing honestly too about your experience. And I appreciate how you just ended it there that it was proof to you that the vaccine's working. Absolutely. That's great. Well, Jeremy Taylor, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing this information that from my perspective is the most important information we've shared in this sermon series that we've been in. And I just wanted to say again, personally, and on behalf of all of us here at The Well, thank you so much for being on the front lines and for doing everything you can to help all of us uh, be healthy and make it through this. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you again to Jeremy Taylor for sharing with us. And, and thank you to those of you who are watching right now who are in the medical community or, or frontline workers who have been helping all of us make it through this pandemic. My wife is a teacher. She's received the first dose of the Pfizer vaccine. And she's scheduled for the second dose here in about a week and a half or two, and she told me her side effect was a sore arm, like we normally have the flu vaccine every year. You have a little bit of a sore arm. That was her side effect after the first uh, dose. And right now, trials are underway for a COVID vaccine for children. And personally, I'm looking forward to society opening back up and for life getting back to normal and for us being able to gather as a church again in person safely. And so. I'm excited to get the vaccine when it's available to me. And, and I, just, I appreciate what Jeremy had to say uh, to us today. So to wrap this up, in a time of disinformation overload, thankfully, there are people who are willing to change their minds. I had a friend years ago, about 15 years ago, who was an evangelical Christian, and I was too at the time, you know, that long ago, and she was totally committed to Illuminati conspiracy theories and would talk about the Illuminati. And And of course, she would get on the internet and Google, you know, information about the Illuminati. And she believed that the world is controlled by a, a small cabal of rich families, including uh, the Rothschild family. And the Rothschild family has been a part of Illuminati conspiracy theories since, since the Rothschilds lived in, in the 1700s um, in, in Europe. And when you hear the name Rothschild, what ethnicity is that name? Uh, it's, uh, it's a Jewish name. The Rothschilds were a, a famous banking family in the 1700s from Frankfurt, Germany, and they were Jewish. Now, when you hear about a Jewish family in Germany, and conspiracy theories around that family. Red flags pop up all over the place for you. And you can see where conspiracy theories like that ultimately end up. And since the 1700s, the the Rothschild family has been the subject of conspiracy theories that are rooted in anti-Semitism. And and my my friend at the time was not aware of that. I don't believe that she was anti-Semitic herself and she didn't know that conspiracy theories like the Illuminati are rooted in antisemitism. And and one day we had a conversation and and I said, you know, when when you're Googling info about the Illuminati, I wonder if you would Google Illuminati antisemitism and just read about what you find. And she did that. She did the research and she discovered that These conspiracy theories that she had bought into and that she had invested time and energy and her reputation talking about were rooted in anti-Semitism and that it was an old conspiracy that played a part in feelings about Jews in Germany. And once she discovered that, she changed her mind. I didn't hear her talking about Illuminati conspiracy theories after that. She changed her mind. Thankfully, there are people who have the courage to change their minds. It's interesting, in the New Testament, the literal meaning of the word repent is to change your mind. Repentance means to change your mind. It's the Greek word metanoia, literally to think again. Like you thought one way, You thought before about something, but now you're going to think again. You're going to think in new ways and you're going to change your mind. Repentance means to change your mind. And in the James passage that we read, James is acknowledging the tendency that all of us have to self justify. When we're tempted or when we do something wrong or when we believe something, when we're deceived, we're tempted to justify ourselves. We're tempted to blame somebody else, even if that becomes a conspiracy theory. We, we place the blame on somebody else, and especially when we face trials of many kinds, and, and we feel pain, and we have difficult experiences, and, and we try to navigate through those, and we're looking to, to justify ourselves, and, and we're the heroes, and we have the, all the right information, and we we blame other people for what we've gone through, that's a tendency that all of us have, like sunk cost fallacy. But then James says, here's the key. Dear brothers and sisters, people who are loved by God, don't be deceived. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be deceived. And James goes on to write about how wisdom is impartial. Wisdom is fair. It's about looking at at the best information, the most reliable sources of information we have, and making a decision based on that information about how to live well. That's what wisdom is. And James says things like resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God. If you're a person who sees yourself as a nonconformist, that can be a valuable trait. We need nonconformists in society, but perhaps it's resisting disinformation, perhaps it's not conforming to this disinformation overload culture that we have. Perhaps that's the way to resist. James would say resist evil, resist lies, because those are the things that hurt people and lead people to these trials that we're facing in America. And he doesn't use the word repent, but when he says come near to God, that is the Jewish concept of repentance, to come home. You've been away. It's like you, you ran away from home but now you decide to change your mind and see things differently and, and return. It's teshuva in Hebrew, to come back, to come back home. James says, come back to God. That's repentance, it's the concept of repentance, to change your mind. We're going to take communion together. And communion today perhaps reminds us that we are dear brothers and sisters. In a divided time, when we are barraged by disinformation, and propaganda and we're looking for what is right and what is true. Perhaps communion reminds us that, that we are brothers and sisters to be compassionate towards one another, to think about the experiences that we, that we've all had that are different, how we all bring our own story to the table as we share communion together. And perhaps those of us who can disagree can, can see each other with a little more compassion and also that we can, as James says, uh, look for wisdom that is impartial, that we can be open to facts and the best sources of information available to us. So I invite you to take communion uh, together now. If you want to get a piece of bread and, and a beverage and have that ready, let's take communion now. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared a meal with his disciples. And he took the bread, and he thanked God for it, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat it, remember me. And so let's consume the bread together now. And in the same way, he took the cup, and he thanked God for it. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, shed for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, remember me. Let's drink from the cup now. Invite you to pray with me. God, thank you for how communion can remind us right now in a divided country, in an age of disinformation overload, that those of us who want to follow Jesus Christ are dear brothers and sisters, and we face trials of many kinds. We don't always know each other's stories and the pain that we feel that lies behind what we believe and the groups that we tend to identify with and the things that we share on social media. And so may we have compassion, may we seek understanding, may we have conversations, may we be willing to share information and be open to new information. And God, as we do that, as James says, we want to not be deceived. We want to get our information from reliable sources, not slanted biased sources that have an agenda, sometimes an anti-scientific agenda, but we want to obtain our information from reliable sources. And as James says, wisdom is impartial from sources that that want to look at the facts, the best facts we have available to us uh, based on the research of people who have devoted their lives searching for those facts. And so we're thankful for medical science. We're thankful for scientific research. We're thankful for vaccines. As the immunologist said, maybe the, the greatest single medical innovation in the history of the world that have saved more lives than any other medical intervention. We're thankful for uh, experts like Jeremy Taylor uh, sharing his own experience with the COVID-19 vaccine, helping other people to feel more comfortable and, and that it's not really the virus they're putting into you, but, but the side effects are, an indicator that the vaccine is working and it it can help you and protect you and that vaccine can save lives. We can join together as a community in communion with one another to save lives. We thank you that we have this calling and privilege to view each other as dear brothers and sisters, to listen, to seek to understand and to be open to, to changing our minds, to admitting when we're wrong, and being open to facts and science and saving each other's lives.